Hi, I'm Pete Williams, author of Cadence, A Tale of Fast Business Growth, and you're listening to my quest for the best. Have you or your senior managers ever felt like business growth was a black box, something that was hard to get a grip on or to advance? That's what my next guest, Pete Williams, set out to solve in his book, Cadence, A Tale of Fast Business Growth. As we discuss in the interview, he uses a parable format to make a very important yet inherently dry topic quite entertaining and approachable. Pete has a lot to offer in his book and in the insights he shares in the interview, so listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringle, host of My Quest for the Best where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Pete Williams. Pete is an entrepreneur, advisor, and marketer who Forbes recently called one entrepreneur today that every marketer should be modeling, while Inc.com described him as a savvy marketing strategist. A Southern Regional Finalist in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award Program, a small business icon, best-in-class recipient, and Australian Business Award winner for Marketing Excellence. He's the co-founder of numerous businesses across varying industries, from telecommunication services to e-commerce. He's written his third book for small business owners, Cadence, A Tale of Fast Business Growth. Welcome, Pete. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Say, Pete, when you were growing up, who was a person who inspired or influenced you? Oh, God, the list is probably quite long, I think. You know, there's a cliche sort of, you know, Richard Branson answer that, you know, as a young, you know, teenager, you sort of think who are the, the famous names in business. You know, Bill Gates was sort of, you know, growing Microsoft and really leading that at the time. And there was that kind of I want to take over the world mentality that, that Gates and Branson sort of had. So I guess those two were, were big sort of influences in the motivation for me anyway when I was younger. Can you think of an experience or decision you made as a result of their influence? Uh, not a particular exact instance. I think, you know, my mum, you know, loves to tell stories of when I was younger. You know, I started my first, or registered my first business when I was about 16. It was a web design company called Impact Plus. And I was doing websites in my primary school and local basketball associations and things like that. And even before then, you know, summer holidays at a caravan park, we used to go on holiday down the surf coast here in Australia, which is obviously a bit of a rite of passage to sort of be a surfer and, and hang at the beach. But at the caravan park over Easter and, and Christmas summer holidays, we used to run basketball card swap meets with my cousins. And there was always this kind of just entrepreneurial bent or bend to my personality and what I did. So it's sort of always been there. There's never really one distinct moment um, that really kind of was like, okay, here's where I'm going to start doing this. I've always been that way inclined, I think. And when you started your first business, what was it that led you to become an entrepreneur rather than become an employee? And what was that experience like when you actually started your first business? So, yes, the business started the, the website one when I was in high school. It was purely a way of generating some pocket money, really. You know, I, did, I didn't want to go and work at Macca's like everybody else. I thought, oh, you know, I like web. I like marketing. Let's go and design that. So that was like, you know, a bit of the part-time job that I started. Uh, and then, I, you know, during university, like everyone does, I did work at a retail store in a footwear industry and learnt a lot there. You know, 
Um, the guys who, Tony and Pauline, who ran that footwear store were amazing mentors. They, it was an athlete's foot franchise. So it was a franchise, but they ran it very, very differently to a traditional franchise. They were very entrepreneurial about it. They were very proactive about it. They were very numbers-driven and made a lot of decisions based off numbers. And I think from there, I learned a lot that I've been able to take with me in my businesses as well. So this is your third business book. Do I have that right? Yeah, pretty much. I've written a couple, written two. The first one was uh, the most infomercial titled book in the history of books called How to Turn Your Million Dollar Idea into a Reality. And um, that was yeah, about, 50, about 10 or 12 years ago based on a, uh, a project that happened here in Australia that uh, I did. And actually, ironically, the media referred to me as Australia's Richard Branson. Uh, come to think of it, it's gone full circle um, off the back of that project and that book. And then, yeah, Cadence is a new one that's, that's out, um, yeah, in 2018. And what is it that inspired you to say that this is a book that a lot of entrepreneurs need um, because you saw an opportunity here and you came across and explained it in a way that's, you know, very much like, um, you know, Who Moved My Cheese? It's a parable within a story mm. that illustrates some important truths. What led you to do that, and how did you get into the mindset of saying, let me do this as a parable? Yeah, great question. It's, it's a good one. I'm a big parable family. The go-giver, built to sell, um, the goal. Like, I'm a really big believer in stories. Like, I don't love – I read a lot of nonfiction books, but I don't love the dryness of nonfiction. And this book, you know, the, the, it's built around the 10% wins framework and the seven levers framework, which are the frameworks that we run our businesses on. And I started writing it as a traditional business book, and it was just dull and dry, and it was good. I thought thought it was good, but it wasn't very engaging in my mind. So then I kind of started thinking about, well, hang on, where has this been applied? How have we applied this in our businesses, in in businesses that I've worked with and consulted to? And there's literally a bike store across the road. If you look out my window now, there's a bike store literally across the road that um, my high school PE teacher just ironically bought. 15 years after graduating school, 20 years after graduating school. And he opened up that bike store across the road. And then I um, raced triathlons a little bit during university when I was working at Athlete Foot Store in, in uni. And I had this goal to do an Ironman before I was 30. So when James opened the store across the road, I'm like, okay, James, hook me up, help coach me to my first Ironman. He was a, an athlete and a coach as well. So during the 20 weeks while I was actually training for my Ironman, I actually kind of helped him um, with some ideas and some advice for the bike store. And this story is kind of loosely based on that true story with a lot of extra lessons and advice and structure to it. But it's a story of how this character JJ goes from struggling bike store owner to profitable bike store owner using this seven levers and 10% win framework. So uh, thinking back, there's a lot more engagement in that. You know, you can communicate things in stories a lot better. You can sort of you know, weave messages in there in different ways. And I think the book's come up 10 times better than it would have been if it was a traditional nonfiction book. Yeah, there's a lot of control that you get over the narrative when you're looking to create the drama and show how these tools solve problems. So JJ, the bike store owner, has invested in his bike store, which has a larger infrastructure and overhead than many businesses. He's got employees. He has inventory. He has, you know, one of his good friends who supplies the inventory, and, you know, he, he's starting to duck calls because he doesn't have the cash flow to support the business. This is something I think that all entrepreneurs and business owners listening to this have experienced at one time or another. And when you're in that situation, you have to figure out a way to grow through it. 
And that's, and, and rather than just do it out of, you know, blind luck, Charlie actually starts to, like you say, he dropped in serendipitously and starts to offer some ideas about structuring that for JJ. How did you think of bringing that together? Because it, it just works so well. It wasn't based on a true story. There's obviously a, a fair bit of uh, writer's control or, or, or white writer's freedom in the story to, to make it really engaging. But I think that's a thing a lot of business owners face. Whether you're a graphic designer, you're a retail store, you're an architect, you're a landscaper, you know, I think a lot of people when they wake up in the morning to you know open the door to their business virtually or you know physically, there's this little moment of overwhelm because I think so many business owners and we had this in our company as we grew is we didn't have a structure to know what to do to grow our business. We were okay at generating the leads or or a lot of business owners are really good on the tools. They're great under the hood working with the tools, doing the thing they do. But growing a business is a very different skill set and so many people don't realize the need for that skill set until it's too late and they've got their business, they've got their stuff, they've got their inventory, they've got their debt and they're opening the door feeling instant overwhelm of, okay, what am I going to do today to grow? I know how to do the thing and deliver the service and the product, but I don't know how to grow. And this is where the story leads is to actually talk the reader, any business owner, through here is the framework and the model you should be using or the roadmap as you want to grow and work on your business. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the story was also how you, it's not sequential. A lot of times people say, okay, how do I just get more leads? But unless you have the infrastructure for and, and some understanding of the psychology and mechanics of how to convert those leads, you're basically wasting your money bringing in more leads until you're converting them effectively. How is it when you introduce that concept to business owners, how do they respond? I think most business owners, when you ask them, you know, how do you want to grow your business? You know, it's always that, give me the good leads. You know, right. Glenn, Larry, Glenn Ross movie example, you know, give me the good leads. I need the good leads. And, you know, yeah, of course, to grow your business, you need leads. But one thing we realized in our company very early on, we, we hit a bit of a, a glass ceiling at one point with our telco group. And we kind of sat back and went, okay, what's stunting our growth? And we sat down and went, okay, what really drives profit in a business? And, you know, my mum's a math teacher by trade. So we kind of went, okay, let's look at the numbers here. Let's actually sit down and be a bit analytical about it. And we realized that, you know, as annoying as it sounds, because, you know, seven dwarfs, seven habits, seven everything, there are really only seven things that drive profit in a business. And, you know, leads or new traffic or new inquiries is actually only one of the seven things. And I think for so many business owners, when they focus solely on that, they're leaving so much money on the table because the impact that can have is the same impact as one of the other six missing elements that they don't often focus on because, you know, the 10% win strategy is there's seven things that drive profit. If you increase each of them by just 10%, your profit doubles due to the compounding effect. So you don't have to double your, your leads or double your traffic to get a 2x profit. You can increase seven areas by 10% like small 10% wins are much more achievable, much more sustainable, and it's it's that kind of mentality and focus that actually gives you sustainable profit increases and a sustainable business. What do you say to an entrepreneur who says, wow, that sounds great. I think I'll try to move all seven levers at once. The way we run our business and, and the way we talk about it in the book and what we suggest is that you work through it in a it can be sequential you can work through you know one two three four six seven but again it doesn't matter the order essentially it's okay i'm going to sit down on my business here is the roadmap this week i'm going to work on this lever and i'm going to try and get a 10 percent win and systemate it and automate it next week 
or next month, whatever sort of cycle you want to run, I'm going to work on the next lever. And then you continually just cycle through. You work through your seven levers, then you come to the start again, and you work through them again. Just one at a time, getting 10% increases. You know, for example, you know, conversion rate is obviously one of the, the levers. You, you talked about it before, Bill. And, you know, getting a 10% win is only increasing your conversion rate from 25% to 27.5%. Just that 10% boost on what it was. You know, your traffic, your suspects, new people walking into your store, going from 1,000 people a week to 1,100. You know, it's only about getting small, achievable 10% wins. So many business owners, if you sit, take a moment now and think about it, when you tried to do an AdWords campaign or when you did some split testing on a sales page or you did some tweaks to your e-commerce store or you adjusted your proposal, whatever it is that you, you, you did in your business recently from a, a business growth tactic standpoint, if you only got an 8% boost or an 11% boost, you probably feel like you're a failure. You probably thought, oh, look, I was trying to double my conversion rate or trying to double my traffic and this AdWords campaign only gave me 10% more leads. Ah, it was a failure. But when you look at it in the context of the 10% win framework and the seven levers framework, you actually get to reframe what you've done as a success because that's all you need. All you need is a 10% win. Move on to the next one. 10% win there. Move on to the next area. 10% win there. And those seven results will compound in a much more powerful way than trying to hit it out of the park and double something or triple something or, as they say, you know, get 10,000 new followers in a week or, you know, triple your conversion rates with webinars or any sort of that craziness. And I think this framework gives so much confidence to business owners who historically have felt like failures when it comes to marketing because they've only had small wins and they didn't understand the actual impact those small wins have to the bottom line of your business when you look at it through a structure. I think that's a really excellent point. I'm just going to highlight that for a moment, Pete, because for people who follow their numbers, and that in itself is a really big shift, to get people to follow their numbers and then understand the context of them is very, very significant. And you could basically tell us when you're talking to people and say, oh, I figured out how to go from 3% to 8% with improving my conversions. Now all of a sudden you have people's attention who follow their numbers and know how that fits into a compounding strategy. If people are only looking at it as an isolated um, KPI, they don't understand how it flows and can be leveraged based upon other levers that you can move. What What else can you do to help people understand the importance of seeing it as an entire framework rather than just looking at the individual metrics? If we go through the seven levers really quickly, I'm sure your listeners are going to go, yeah, that doesn't sound that unique. That doesn't sound that secret because it's not. What what the power is, it's in looking at it in the terms of 10% win. So the seven drivers of your business, let's, let's lay it out there for everyone. You've got your suspects. These are the people who walk into your shoe store. Let's use that shoe store analogy that I mentioned when I worked at high school, in university. So suspects, people who walk into your shoe store. Prospects, how many people actually put up their hand and go, I am seriously considering becoming a customer? So in a shoe store analogy, it's, they're trying on a pair of shoes. Online, it could be you know, opting in for your free trial of your SaaS software. It's downloading your free report. It's adding something to the shopping cart on your e-commerce store. It's getting the free quote. That's the difference between suspects and prospects. And firstly, so many business owners don't identify the step that makes the difference between those two. Third, you've got your conversion rate. You've got your average item price. What's the average item prices, the stuff you sell? Average items per sale is number five. So they might buy a pair of shoes and some shoe cleaner. They might buy a pair of shoes 
and some pair of socks. Like that's increasing your average items per sale. Then you've got your transactions per customer. How often do they come back and buy from you again? And then you've got your overall margin in your business. So suspects, prospects, conversion rate, average item price, items per sale, transactions and margins. Nothing overly revolutionary there. Like when you sit down and think about it, it sounds pretty logical. And your listeners have probably heard something similar before. But the difference is when you actually make the distinction that all you need to do is increase each of those by just 10%. Going from your average item price of $100 to $110 or getting your transactions on average from you know, 2 to 2.2. You know, It's only 10% increases and boosts you need to worry about for the compounding effect to, take it, to, compounding effect to actually make a difference. I think that's really a, a very clear explanation. And many people, if they just look at the, the, the seven levers, they might find it boring or commonplace. <laughs> what becomes exciting is, as you say, putting them together because that's what drives margin in your business and that's what drives profitability. And now it becomes exciting for everyone involved. I, I think that the other thing that becomes very true is helping transfer that knowledge and awareness and concern over measuring things. What have you found that's been really useful for helping people embrace that and being able to transfer um, that knowledge of being able to track KPIs for people who are just getting into that mindset and that discipline? Yeah, I think, you know, the good thing with those seven areas are they're not scary metrics. They're not that sort of, you may have heard the term vanity metrics where you've got to track so many different things in your business, you've got analytics. Realistically, a business is designed to grow profit. And if there's only seven things that actually drive profit, there's only seven things you have to manage and measure. That's it. Don't get too caught up in all the crazy um, vanity metrics elements and all the other stuff. So I think it, that makes it simple. I think a lot of it can be managed very easily out of your accounting package in terms of your average item price, transactions, items per sale, margins. That sort of stuff can come out of your accounting package. Very, very simple. And when it comes to you know suspects and, and, and prospects and conversion rate, you should be able to pull that pretty seamlessly together, even with an Excel spreadsheet. One of the things that a lot of people um, will realize once they read the book is that it could be as simple as ticking people off who walk through the door of a store or installing yep. something to automate it, you know, like a light beam at the door to count how many people walk in. Since they walk in and walk exactly. out, you have to divide it by two. You can't inflate it that way, but, you know, that's the idea. <laughs> but that's the thing. is like a lot of those tools, you can pick them up for a couple of hundred bucks off an online store that you can, you know, incorporate. You've probably all walked into a retail store that with the bing bong when someone walks in to notify the staff that someone's walked into the store. Well, you can get those that have an automatic counter involved for a couple of hundred bucks. It's not expensive. Put it on the front of your retail store. If you're an e-commerce or web store, it's obviously Google Analytics. How many how many people visit your website? You know, it's if you are a accountant or you're a you know a, somewhere who does a service based business, getting a, a, an 800 number or or a 1300 number that allows you to track how many calls that number generated. You know, in our business, we have over 100 phone numbers that we use in different marketing channels and different marketing areas. So we know that that particular marketing campaign generated how many suspects, how many inquiries did that actually generate? And we track that very simply. Literally, you know, we pull a, a report from our phone bill every month and isolate, okay, this 1-800 number got 36 calls. This number got 300 calls. This one got 76 calls and we added up manually. That's exactly how we do 
uh, some of our uh, suspect tracking in our business. So if we can actually measure what actually gave us boosts, what, did, what works, what doesn't work, don't overcomplicate it. I think people try and overcomplicate it, and that's what makes it uh, a problem. So every entrepreneur and business owner listening to this interview right now, ask yourself an honest question. Have you been hesitating to track vital numbers and KPIs in your business because either A, you were intimidated by it, or B, you were making it overly complicated, more so than it needs to be? If so, this is your invitation to step up and start to track just the seven numbers that make a difference and can help you double your business, quarter in and quarter out, as as you keep cycling through these seven levers of of business growth. Yeah, I think you hit on a a really good point there, Bill, in that it, it, probably people do think it's scary because it's so hard. And I think one of the reasons people think it's scary is because they don't want to look at the numbers in two months' time and see minimal growth and then have to face that reality that is, oh, I've been failing or I'm not really growing. And this is the feedback I've gotten for, for quite a while, which I think is amazing and was never really something on our radar, is that the ability or the need or the, the focus on only getting 10% wins actually gives the confidence to look at my numbers because I know if I get an 8% boost, I've been close to successful. I've had a good result. If I get a 12% boost, I've had a great result. Whereas historically, when people are looking at the numbers, they look at it and go, oh, I only improved by 11% in this area. Oh, and they actually get down on themselves. And that's the reason they don't do their numbers is because the, the context in which they were looking at them was I've got to double everything for it to actually feel like I'm succeeding. Small wins are what you need. Small wins are what you're aiming for. You're not trying to hit home runs. Just get on base. And I think uh, underscoring that is worthwhile, Pete. It's, it's, isn't it true that when people start to track their numbers, they're going to see the biggest increases and have the most momentum right at the start? Because if you're not tracking your numbers now, starting to track them will establish a baseline. And, you know, maybe you're getting, you're tracking 20 people a day, and you'll see variance between 20 and 25, and right there is over 10%. So that, that's yeah. pretty exciting when you start to track, isn't it true? Absolutely. <laughs> I'll share a story with you that um, it's a little, a little embarrassing, but it'll, it'll make the point here is that one point uh, a, few, a number of years ago, you know, we're very heavy in our AdWords traffic as a, as a suspect generation tool for us. As AdWords is massive for us. And you know, at one point, we paused some of our AdWords campaigns in a certain state because of a, uh, a public holiday or you know, a, a long weekend. And we've got to turn it back on. We paused it for a long weekend, and it was like a significant amount of time before we realized we put it back on. And the only realization um, happened during a measurement. We measured it, so hang on, what's happened with this figure? And then we realized it was turned off. And I hear so many similar stories to that from people when they start tracking stuff. They didn't realize that their email sequence, you know, their AWeber or their MailChimp account, um, credit card expires and hadn't been running or they didn't realize their staff stopped saying, would you like fries with that? It's a bit of a cliche, but it's a overused, and it's, it's an important statement that actually helps increase items for sale. They didn't realize that something they thought was running wasn't. So by simply taking the time to analyze what the seven levers are for your business and measuring what each of those things are, the amount of stories I hear of people getting 10% boosts just during the measurement phase, they've been being creative. They've just gone, oh, hang on, I'm measuring this and I didn't realize it actually stopped working or didn't know, realize the team weren't still doing this and actually picked up 10% boosts across almost every lever just by measuring stuff. Oh, I didn't realize we haven't reviewed our you know, 
expenses in the business for two years and just calling all our providers and negotiating 10% reductions is very, very easy. Like measurement can actually just boost your business without even worrying about trying to create new wins. It's just pulse checking where you're at right now and then realizing there's problems or oversights or holes in the bucket. Like that's amazing in terms of what you can actually get right now. Very quick wins. So for every business owner listening to this who feels their heartbeat racing, wondering what's not working that hasn't been checked, we encourage you to go check it because that in itself will improve your sales and your profitability. It's absolutely true. Pete, isn't it something that also is important in order to check these things? It's not just checking it and hoping for the best. What steps do business leaders need to do in order to try new things? to experiment, and to train other people within their organization as you delegate these responsibilities. What kind of experiences have you had with this, and what are some tips that people can learn from? It's about continually cycling through. We kind of spoke about it earlier. I think you mentioned it too, Bill, in that you know, once you identify these seven things, then it's putting a system in place to continually cycle through them to get your 10% wins. So you actually sort of say, I'm going to work on one lever a month one lever a week, whatever sort of period or, or, or cycle or calendar you want to use, you can put that in place and go, okay, this period of time, this month, I'm going to work on increasing this lever. I think for a lot of people, pulling your team in and having you know focus sessions and getting your marketing team or your customer experience team or even your sales team or anybody in and go, okay, we're going to have a session once a month and we're going to sit down in our office in our boardroom and we're going to brainstorm what could be our 10% win this month for suspects. What could be our 10% win this month for items per sale? What's our 10% win this month? And getting the team involved to come up and being creative of what can we do to get a boost in this lever? What can we do to increase this scenario? What can we do here? That's the kind of stuff that can be really quite powerful in a scheduled kind of board meeting style approach with your team. Are there any guidelines that you found have been useful for people to say, you know, we don't need to completely turn our process upside down for conversion, but let's try this, say, every Thursday. Let's try this new thing and see how that compares to the other days of the week. Do you have any guidelines to help people so that they don't um, cannibalize what's already working? So I think it's split testing, and you can split test, you know, online, and you can split test offline. You know, I think, you know, if you've got an e-commerce store or you're running a, a business where it's all about, you know, users opting in and registering online, there's plenty of great tools out there that allows you to split test stuff. Analytics have some built-in split testing tools. There's a bunch out there. If you just, if you just Google, you know, split testing, um, you, there'll be heaps of ads come up for different software packages that allow you to do that very, very easily where you can run two variations of the same web page with just a slight tweak and the headline or the color of the buttons and things like that and it'll split that between your web traffic. So half will see one, half will see the other, and then you can see which one actually gets a result. And quite often, the good packages will automatically run it towards the, the winning variation on the way. What's been something that has surprised you in terms of your own testing, maybe within your own companies, that you didn't expect, that you found out through experimenting like this? Do you remember an example? Oh, there's been heaps. You know, there's been plenty of times where I thought this headline would win or this color design on our e-commerce sites would win. Um, I think the biggest thing is to test it and not just use your gut. Um, there's been plenty of times where we've sort of we've internally gone, yep, this is definitely going to win so much better. And 
because we had the discipline to actually split test it and not just trust our gut, we realized how wrong we were. And I was having this conversation recently, actually, in our e-commerce business, Simply Headsets. It's um, a headset reseller in Australia. So it's a B2B office-style headset reception headset business. And we've had our same website design and feel for quite a number of years. And there was some murmuring, something bubbling up inside about the, the staff wanting to actually change the site. They're like, it's old, it's stale, it's, it's, oh, it's boring. And we kind of took that on board. We, we took a moment and went, okay, let's, let's think for a second. We know the conversion rate of this thing is really, really solid. We are continually split testing small elements here and there, and we've got a very, very solid site. Why is this conversation coming about wanting to change it because it's stale? And who's it stale to? Is it stale to you, the business owner, and you're sick of it because you look at it all the time? Or is it stale and boring to your customers? And, you know, obviously for us, the type of people who come to that site aren't coming there every week. It's not Amazon. It's not a fashion retailer. People are coming back every second day to sort of check the new trends. People only come to that site when they've got a need and we do a whole bunch of stuff offline to generate our repeat transactions per customer. So it's not the type of website that people come back to time and time again. So we realized that even though the site technically is three or four years old or whatever it might be in, in actual look and design, for a person, a prospect and a suspect who's coming to our website, it's fresh and it's the first time they've seen it. So we had to really manage internal expectations around that and explain that, no, we're not going to go and spend 50, 100 grand to redesign the site because internally we're bored with it. The site's there not for us. The site's there for our prospects and our suspects and our customers. And for them, it was still new and it was still converting very, very solidly. And I think that in itself is something that a lot of business owners probably don't have clarity around enough or they, they kind of get sick of stuff and want to change it because they're bored with it, not because their suspects and prospects are. And I think that everyone listening needs to have the courage and the clarity to be able to say, our customers and our suspects and prospects have a vote in making some of these important decisions. I know for myself, and I bet it's true for you as well, Pete, that if testing came back and said that something really unexpected was the winner in a split test, I wouldn't hesitate for a moment <laughs> to go with that and put more resources behind it, whereas many people would say, well, it's not really the color we wanted, or it's not, you know, the phrase that I thought that would appeal to my friends, but it might be appealing to those who are new buyers. Isn't that more or less the thinking that you want to engender by people following the cadence? Pete, I've got a, a series of questions I'd love to ask every expert who comes on the show. Are you you're ready for our lightning round? Bring it on. Let's go. All right. What are the key components of your daily routine for success? Oh, look, I'd love to say it's don't check emails before lunch and all that sort of cliche sort of answers. But um, for me, the only real thing is making the tomorrow's to-do list tonight. So I'll get a three-by-five card out of my notebook and just write down what are the three big wins for tomorrow. That's as much as I really do. Like I love to say that I'm super disciplined and have this massive kind of um, process and strict guidelines, but I don't. The only thing is really, what's my big three big wins for tomorrow? Write them down and try and make sure I tick them off. Everything else kind of just, I let it flow. Sometimes simple is what works the best. What's a book that you've given as a gift in the last year? One I've given the most this year is Joey Coleman's book, Never Lose a Customer Again. It would probably have to be the second best business book of 2018. And what's a tool or system you use for staying on track and productive in addition 
to writing down tomorrow's wins today? I try and use OmniFocus as like a, a GTD type process. It's more of a, uh, a good place for me to, to store ideas. Um, I don't really run it as a, here's my to-do list for the day, but I do keep it as my depository or, or repository of ideas and to-do lists for the future. Beware of the dream takers. Don't worry about what people are thinking. There's always going to be people who are trying to take your dream away with, from, and probably from a position of love, but, but beware of those people and don't just take it with a grain of salt. I want to thank you so much for joining me. My quest for the best in talking about Keaton. You've reminded us and instructed us on so many great things and helped us connect with things, like your, your first uh, experience working at Athlete's Foot, um, that Athlete's Foot affiliate, because even then you, you mentioned how metrics played an important part of your education working there. You talked about the importance of parables and helping get across material that might otherwise be a little bit um, dry and unexciting to help people embrace it and use it in their business to get the results that they want. You talked about your own struggle with overcoming a glass ceiling that led you to understand what were the drivers to profit and profitability and how it's really the context of the wins working to, of this uh, 10% wins working together across all seven levers that actually make it exciting to see how those wins compound with each other. Uh, you talked about doing split testing, the importance of split testing, and also some great ideas for becoming an even more data-driven organization. So, Pete, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Man, it was a great time. Thank you for having me, Bill. Hey, where can we find out more about your work online? Cadencebook.com is probably a good place to start. Uh, Preneur Marketing is sort of the blog where I rant and rave on different things. They're probably two great places online. Did you want to mention a link for the audio version? So what we're doing is we've negotiated a pretty cool deal with our publishers in that we want to rank, we're running a test where, you know, speaking about testing, let's test everything, is that one of the things I hate when I, you know, hear an interview with someone and, and a book I want to buy is I've got to, you know, order it, wait for it to be published, if it's, you know, pre-release or, or wait for the person to deliver it. So what we've done with the publishers is we wanted to test something to see if this actually works. So if anyone heads over to uh, the site, and I think there'll be some links uh, in the show notes that you'll put up, where people can go across, they can order a copy of the book and, and we'll ship it to you, yet you'll actually get instant access to the audiobook version straight away. So if you're a podcast listener, you're probably going to prefer audiobooks anyway. So here's a way to get the audiobook for free instantly. Uh, head over to the link on the show notes that Bill put up and you can order the book and then we'll ship it to you, but you'll get the audio book access literally within five minutes, and you can download it and start applying the lessons from Cadence and 10% win straight away. Uh, what a great reward for action takers. Pete, what do you want people who are listening to this episode to, to be thinking about in order to improve the Cadence in their own business? I think it's figuring out whether it's the seven levers and 10% wins or whether it's some other sort of roadmap or framework but just figure out a framework that you can follow when you're working on your business. Actually, something you can actually follow along when you're on your business. That's the biggest thing to, to really get, get clear on. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up, We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments, and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.